Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, the place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good afternoon. And together we hope to educate, inspire, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today's guest is Debbie LaBelle, who is the sales and marketing director at Hayden Flower Mills, a flower company I've been a fan of for a long time. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. This uh, topic, flour, is controversial, right? Gluten, should we avoid it? Should we not? What mm. kind of wheat should we use? Should it be freshly milled, right? There's so many so many variables to a conversation that so often it's like, oh, I don't eat gluten. And mm -hmm. it's like, okay, but if you do eat gluten, I feel you should be responsible in your consumption of it and source mm. really amazing flour. So the, all those things I want to cover today and dive into. But before we get there, Debbie, I'd love to know a little bit about yourself and how you um, came on board with Hayden Flower Mills and how your interests have kind of um, intersected with your work life now today. Yeah, sure. So um, something that people find kind of interesting about me is that I grew up in the Philippines. I was uh, born and raised there. Um, as a daughter of missionary parents, they were over there for over 30 years, and wow. I came back to the States when I was 18. And growing up in the Philippines, we didn't really have access to um, a lot of uh, mixes and ready-to-eat meals, so everything that my mom did in the kitchen was from scratch. Mm -hmm. So I learned, kind of, I grew up with scratch cooking, like that was the only thing that I really knew growing up, started to bake when I was young. Um, so fast forward, came back to America, met and married my husband. We had two kids. Um, I worked for a bit before kids, uh, working for an airline in the travel industry. Um, that really tied in my passion for just having a big world view. Um, my husband and I got to travel a lot through um, Europe, particularly are, are one of my favorite places to go to, um, and discovered through that position with the airline what good ingredients could do to food. I will never forget um, the first time we were in France and I was eating a vegetable that I typically hate, which is green beans. Mm. And I had these green beans at this little, you know, restaurant on this little street in Paris. And these green beans were delicious. It was mm. the most flavorful thing I'd ever had. Okay, so these green beans. Um, now what you do at restaurants, tell me how this has influenced your perspective on food today. Yeah, just understanding that quality of ingredients really do matter mm. when you're consuming something. So you can consume, you can eat really wonderful things that are good for your body mm -hmm. that taste good if you're using the right ingredients. So... When I stayed at home with the kids, raising them for about 10 years, and when I was ready to go back to work, um, I actually found out about this family that was running a local flour mill. And I went to um, my little natural food store um, here in Phoenix and found them on the shelf and made a batch of cookies. And I was like, wow, this really tastes different. I'm really interested in working with this company and mm. just seeing what I can do to help them grow. And at the time... Um, they were looking for somebody with my skill set. So I joined about five years ago and it got in my bloodstream and I can't help myself. You know, I, if anybody brings up grain of any kind, I'm off and running. I always tell people, don't get me started on our oats. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So tell me, I want to hear the spiel that you're giving people when they're talking about even just misconceptions you find when people are talking about grains in general. What, what are some of the things that you want to bring people 
um, aware of? Yeah, so I think um, grains and gluten in general have re- gotten a really bad rap, you know. Um, obviously, if you have a true wheat allergy or you have celiac disease, um, the wheat itself is the issue with your body. It's it's rejecting it, so you have to stay away from it completely. But honestly, that only affects less than 1% of the population. And yet you hear these everybody talking about, mm-hmm. oh, I can't eat gluten. Nobody ever says, I don't like to eat wheat. They say, I can't eat wheat. Mm. And it's because they're getting joint pain or they're having digestive issues or they have brain fog. Those are some of the things that I hear people complaining about when they come in to our shop and want to check us out. Um, and the beautiful thing is, it's not the wheat. It's the processing of the wheat. It's what's being done to the wheat as it's being made into baked goods. Um, That's what's causing the problems. And if I were to make a guess, I mean, we haven't had any big study done. We're too small of a business to pay for something like that. But um, I would say that when you look at um, wheat now, the milling process shaves off all the nutritional components of the wheat. So wheat is made up of three components, the wheat, the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. The endosperm is kind of the white, fatty part of the wheat, and that's what makes white flour. Um, That's all that industrial mills are milling is the white component of the wheat. Mm -hmm. And so by taking out all the nutrients, they have to add it back into the wheat, but they add it back in in the form of chemicals. So when you see enriched flour on the grocery shelf, that's a flour that's been treated with chemicals to add enrichments back into a food that they've stripped. and I think it's the chemicals or what people are reacting to, not the wheat itself. Mm-hmm. And then you go to um, buy your bread at the grocery store and there's a whole paragraph of ingredients yes. designed to preserve your bread, to make it have that chewy flavor that we like, uh, maybe to add some sweetness to it. Um, but that's there's a whole litany of ingredients there. So now when people are eating bread, they're just feeling absolutely sick. Um, another thing that kind of just sets us apart from industrial milling is that we mill the whole grain. So we mill all components, not just the bran, but we have the germ in there as well. And um, by having a flour that is a whole grain flour, your body's not getting hit with this huge carb um, load. It's, it's having fiber in there to slow down your digestion, to help it work through your body. So I think a lot of the gut issues come from that. And then if you take it a step further and you're baking sourdough bread, you're now allowing this long fermentation process and the enzymes to break down the wheat to make it the nutrition more um, accessible to our bodies when we eat it. So we're eating almost like a pre-digested form of wheat when we eat sourdough. Mm -hmm. So we've been able to give our customers back the gift of wheat and they're so happy and they're so excited. We have all kinds of things, even for people who don't want to you know, go the whole length of baking sourdough bread at home. Um, we have dried pastas, pancake mixes, things mm. that make it really accessible um, for folks that maybe didn't grow up in the kitchen like I did. Um, and being able to introduce wheat back into their diet, they're just so happy, so joyful, walking with huge smiles on their faces. And then they come back and they tell me, I could eat it all and everything's fine. I'm not feeling sick anymore. I don't have the you know, the brain fog or the aches or the stomach aches or anything. And it's just, it's such a beautiful thing to be able to give that back to people. Mm. It is interesting. It's become almost popular to not like gluten or to avoid it Mm -hmm. in some capacity. Yeah. 
It's like the hip thing to do. Totally. Now, I'll, I'll also say, I do believe not just people aren't trying to be hip, people aren't just trying to be cool. They do feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I feel often poor. I have, I feel like very intentionally focused on having good gut health, but conventional pasteurized dairy, like just if, like ice cream, something like, it really messes me up. Um, and raw dairy does not yeah now mm, a lot um, of similarities between yeah dairy and and wheat products I find. the 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 question i have and, and debbie why, why on earth would we not like why would conventional processors or millers not mill the whole product like why, why are they stripping it and separating it what 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 gain is there from that well i i think back to you know why they were doing that to begin with and even if you even just go back to the Bible and you read the Bible, wheat is all over the Bible, right? And they talk about the finest flowers being reserved for kings or for mm. special guests. And what that is, it's, it's a heavily sifted flour. It's getting that flour really nice and fine. Well, when industrialization came um, into uh, America, um, the more germ and the more bran that was sifted out of wheat that became finer and finer flour that you could that helps with gluten development when you're making bread it tastes good on your mouth you know you think about eating like a whole wheat pasta and you chew it and kind of falls apart in your mouth you know we don't like how that feels in our Mm -hmm. in our mouth and so what they found is hey listen instead of um milling the entire grain and then sifting and sifting and sifting and sifting to get this fine flour, uh, they found a more efficient way, which is like before you even get to the milling point, you shave the flour. So wheat goes through, uh, it's called a roller mill, and there's little um, kind of razors on the outside of these round rollers that the wheat falls through, and it just shaves off the bran, which is the outer layer, and then it shaves off the germ, and what's left behind is this white powdery substance that makes the white flour. And so because we like how that feels in our mouth, they found a very efficient um, way to mill that on a large scale. And so just to put things in perspective, industrial mills today mill millions of pounds of grain every day. And as Hayden flour mills, we're milling more like 500,000 pounds a year. Wow. <sighs> Yeah, that's that's quite the difference. So it's a it's a the internal. That's the what did you call it again? Is that the bran? So there's the, the germ, endosperm. there's the endosperm, and there's the bran. Is it the endosperm? Yes. That's the, the 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 kind of core. Yes. And that core can be ground up finer. It like pulverizes easier. I'm I'm, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm seeing like a chalky substance in my brain. Yeah, which is what you get in grocery store flour Mm -hmm. you know unless it's a whole wheat flour that's what you're getting is you're getting the endosperm so what are you losing when you do that germ is what has all the natural oils um in wheat and it brings all the flavor so when you're just using the endosperm you're losing the flavor and then the bran is the fiber um, of the wheat. So when you lose the fiber, it makes it more difficult for your body to digest without fiber. You know, that's why you eat your fruits and vegetables with every meal is it's fiber that's helping things move through your body um, well. So I, th- I would say like in a nutshell, people's demand for white flour created this 
roller milling process that as a um, kind of a side effect that they did not want is to take all of those nutrients out of the flour. Mm. Um, so it's yeah, almost so for like a mouthfeel, right? Mm-hmm. It's for a mouthfeel. It's for a texture. You're able yes. to accomplish a texture by having a really finely pulverized product. It's really easy to add in sugars and oils and things to give it a flavor. Flavoring is easy, right? America, like industrial, like we've figured out flavors. And adding in synthetic flavor is, mm-hmm. is the easy part. And the hard part is to get that mouthfeel. And the way to accomplish that is by t- pulling out some of these natural uh, natural things. So then, so then ha- is there a way then to achieve that mouthfeel is it, does it just take more time, more effort if you're not stripping those things out? Yes. So what we do with a stone mill is we drop the entire grain into our stone mill and then we sift out just the most poor, coarse parts of the bran that mm. would affect baking performance. Because what you're trying to do is uh, bran is, can be, if, the, if this is a chunky um, piece of bran, it can act like a razor knife when you're trying to form gluten and make bread. Um, so if you just sift that out, you're still left with bran. You're still mm. left with germ and you're still left with endosperm. And the beautiful part is it's in basically the same percentage that it, exi- it's, it exists in nature. It's like how God intended us to eat wheat. Mm. Um, and it's amazing when people start to make bread um, with our flour. What they tell me is, well, I thought I was using the nicest flour that was on the market. And then I discovered you and I made a loaf of th- your flour and it performs just as well but the flavor is incredible i what is in this what do you Mm. put in this and it's it's just we're not taking anything out we're allowing the beautiful flavors of all the different wheat varieties that we have to shine through so you're not having to have like an olive oil rosemary with olives and garlic loaf to taste something in it Mm -hmm. the wheat itself is good just on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can attest to that because I bought, I think I bought just the Heritage Blend, but then I also got Maurizio Leo's Perfect Loafed Blend, which loved that for bread. And I have your pizza flour and I have your pastry flour. It was quite a big order. But, <laughs> but um, I can tell you, I've used lots of different flours and it, I always know a huge difference from the grocery store flour versus flour bought directly from a mill. And someone recently asked me like, where do you get your flour? And I'm like, I get it from all different kinds of places, but I go to the mill. I go directly to them because that's going to be your best flour, your freshest flour, your most nutritious flour. And I do, I do tons of sourdough baking with it. I love that. But we also make other stuff. We make muffins and pastries and scones Mm -hmm. and stuff. And we love it for all of that too. And there's a different, Sophie, we have a 12 year old who loves to bake and she's like, it's so funny how some flour is bright white and some flour is more brownish. And like she can tell, you know, the the Mm -hmm. difference. It's a different texture, smell, flavor. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Um, you guys, when you're sourcing this wheat, I want to talk about the types of wheat you guys are milling and then how that wheat is grown. And so just fill us in on kind of those details. Yeah. So um, we made the decision, well, Jeff and Emma, our, our co-owners, made the decision when starting the mill, we're not going to farm. We're going to work with local farmers that already exist here in Arizona. And um, we're going to... Um, convince them to grow out these heritage grain crops for us. So mm-hmm. the type of wheat um, that we grow um, is 
a heritage wheat variety. So it predates the 1950s Green Revolution. Um, and just to give like a super short history lesson for anybody that didn't know, like I didn't know what the Green Revolution was all about. It's when um, America kind of freaked out that we are not going to have enough wheat. Um, we're not going to have enough food. And so they took look to science to say, okay, what can we do to get more out of our farmland? So, you know, the reason was to try to provide enough food for America, right? It wasn't, it wasn't bad intentions going into it. And um, they found that hybridizing um, the wheat at the time, which was heritage crops, um, hybridizing it with another shorter grass, because wheat is a grass, um, it allowed the, the plant to produce more berries per stock. Mm-hmm. because it's not using that energy to create height. So it's using that energy to create more, you know, little baby wheat berries. Mm-hmm. And so um, what they found is, wow, we can get three times the yield per acre of wheat that we plant versus these heritage crops. Um, again, it was the intentions were good, but what they found in doing that is because the wheat berries are now closer to the ground, and make them more susceptible to disease and insect infestation. And so to combat that, instead of saying, let's go back to the way we were doing things before, they said, let's just fix this problem. They fixed the problem by spraying it with herbicides and pesticides. And so now you have, you know, wheat that's just um, sprayed with a lot of chemicals, right? So that's just like a little short note on what modern wheat is but what we grow is heritage wheat varieties and what people don't realize too and it's kind of a fun fact is that um wheat originated in the middle east in the fertile crescent so when it's talked about in the bible so much that's because that was the crop that surrounded Mm -hmm. um, the people living in that civilization wheat didn't come to america until the 1600s white sonora is the first wheat variety that landed in america and it's kind of fun because it was Spanish missionaries that brought wheat with them into Sonora, Mexico, because at the time there were no there was no wheat to be found in America. Corn was a prevalent crop, and they needed wheat to be able to take their communion. Mm. Oh, so that's they brought so these, interesting. Yeah, so they brought these heritage wheat varieties, planted them in the desert, in the Sonora Desert. Um, so same climate as the Middle East. And they found, wow, these crops really thrive. They do so well. And then the locals started using it for to make tortillas with instead of corn. So that's Mm -hmm. white Sonora is the first, you know, flour tortilla that was made. Um, And so by having a tall plant, so our heritage varieties grow up to about six feet tall, whereas modern wheat varieties grow maybe six inches. Yeah, they're short. Yeah, to a foot tall. Um, and, um, what you see on top in nature is usually mirrored under the earth. Mm -hmm. And so they're deep rooted plants. So instead of stripping the topsoil of all their nutrients, it's sequestering carbon out of the air, putting it back into the soil and wheat is a rotation crop. So it's just, it's, it makes for really good, um, soil health and, um, and we don't have to spray it with anything. We only water it a few times a year because it's a drought tolerant plant. Mm. Wheat is meant to be harvested in the summer when it's bone dry, which it's like that here in Arizona. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to spray anything on the plants to desiccate and dry the wheat out in order to store it. It's already just been provided by the, our our really dry, hot summers. That's Mm -hmm. when wheat gets harvested is in the summertime. Mm -hmm. I love that. 
Thank you for that explanation because I get that question a lot of like modern wheat versus hybridized versus, well, so those would kind of be the same. And then ancient grain, really old stuff like einkorn, kamut flowers, these types of things. But then you also have, like I just mentioned, the heritage blend, which is maybe not quite as old, but um, definitely still beautiful flower. And it, it, I love using that in our own home. So I, I love that breakdown, that explanation. Um, the desiccation of wheat is something we've asked almost every wheat-related podcast guest we've ever had because there's so much back and forth. Do you see that in the industry with other people growing wheat in other places where it is a wetter climate? Um, that they are having to use a lot of chemical desiccants? You know, I'm not sure I've heard it both ways as well. Mm -hmm. Um, My latest understanding is that they're trying to not spray the wheat berries themselves with any kind of chemical in order to dry it out. Instead, they're trying to put them in these large, like, fanning units um, to dry it out before they store it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that would be a better method for sure. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. I was going to ask, so we're looking at different varieties of plant, okay? And and, I, and I'm like the knuckle dragger in the room that doesn't know a whole lot about wheat. And I'm just going to ask those kind of questions for the people that hopefully are out there that are like me. Mm-hmm. And it's, what is actually different from one, I, I understand a lot about now heritage to conventional. I did not know that yeah. until this moment. Did not know that we had crossbred in some capacity, if that's the way to say that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not. Or hybridized, yeah. There, there you go. Well, um, with with grasses to, and now they're lower to the ground, and that causes problems, and totally all, it all makes sense to me. But if I, I'm, I'm recognizing there's also like different kinds of, of wheat, right? What, what variances are you seeing within those different wheats? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I think about wheat and all the different varieties that we grow out, I think of a family tree. So, you know, at the top you have the, you know, the matriarch or the patriarch of the family, and that would be einkorn. That is the oldest cultivated wheat known to man and found, in fact, they found it in the stomach of um, icemen that they've mm. discovered. Um, and then from that, so we have einkorn at Hayden Flower Mills, and it has this like, complete flavor like all the flavors that are in every wheat variety are in einkorn when you think about it right mm. interesting so then the child of einkorn is one of the varieties that we grow out as well emmer it was named after the pharaohs of egypt it just has an italian spelling for pharaoh um pharaoh has this sweet nutty flavor so flavor is one thing that kind of distinguishes one wheat variety for another um it has a very Um, earthy brown color so color is another one that distinguishes and then its use um, how what it's best used for so uh, emmer is a lower protein wheat so really not great for making something like a sourdough bread because Mm. you're not going to have the protein to create those gluten strands to trap the air bubbles in the bread Mm. but um, banana bread muffins Mm. cookies things where you can really taste um, the base dough. Um, it's got this really beautiful, nutty, sweet flavor. Um, there's a semolina that can come off the emmer which you can make pasta with. That's what semolina is used for, is to make pasta. It gives pasta this nice structure. It's kind of like our more coarse, sugary-type consistency mm. um, that creates a structure in pasta. 
And then, um, you know, one of the children of Emma Farrow would be like, uh, or, or one of the maybe cousins, um, Rouge de Bordeaux. And it's a wheat that uh, was a favorite of French bakers um, back in the 1940s. That would be considered a heritage because it's hundreds of years old, but not thousands of years old, like mm-hmm. Emma Farrow or Einkorn. And um, Rouge de Bordeaux is a hard red wheat, but it's a heritage variety. It's higher in protein, so you can make bread with it. So it's got this um, reddish color to it. Um, it's got also kind of a nutty, whole wheaty flavor, mm. but it's high in protein. So you can form those gluten strands that you need when making bread. And then you have something like white Sonora is another variety that I was talking about brought over by the Spanish missionaries. Um, its color is really like a nice white color, almost looks like a cross between like a white and a brown rice sort of. Mm. Um, it's got a creamy, white, light, sweet flavor to it. Um, it's lower in protein, so better for things like tortillas, um, cookies, quick breads. Um, it makes a beautiful pasta. When we finally sift it into a pastry flour, you can make an egg-based pasta with it. Um, and then you have cousins to eat. They're still made of grass, off of grass um varieties but things like rye so Mm. rye has a real grassy flavor it's not considered necessarily a wheat but you can add that to things like brownies it adds this really complex deep uh, notes the perfect loaf blend um, that you made and that you that you got from us that has a little bit of rye in it so it has Mm. this really nice interesting um, flavor so yeah I can see it in the loaf because it it almost has these little really dark speckles you know what I mean when I'm making his flour so i wondered if that was in there so so einkorn is kind of the the matriarch patriarch like great you said grandpa yeah love that super interesting great way to explain it it's almost like the wolf right if in yeah, dogs yeah. so if we're looking yes. at canines there's a wolf right <laughs> and then we've got like you know all the way down to like the pugs that are like you know clearly hybridized they ain't right? gonna they ain't gonna make it in the wild <laughs> if it ain't for right if it's not for us they couldn't their snout uh, can't even get they're the there. they're the one yeah. that we crossbred with the wrong thing and we got to spray them <laughs> to keep them going you know what i mean the 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 um this is super interesting and i'm going to keep asking questions because now I'm, I'm on a, i'm on a thing here so how did we go from einkorn to the next thing what what did we like did that get bred with something else and and what are we breeding it with to get like to change the 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 macros within if, if that's the way you say that within and the protein flour. levels yeah like the protein mm-hmm. levels how are we doing that so wheat is a grass, and so you can hybridize it with other grass varieties that maybe not be not have that wheat component to it, you know, and mm. to get the different varieties that we have today. So hybridize, hybridize, hybridize until we get to the modern wheat where they hybridize with a very short dwarf um, grass plant mm. to get it shorter to the ground. Okay. And so the heritage ones, the way that we identify those is hundreds of years old, meaning they've been around for hundreds of years. And then... They're still we, tall. Still, still tall. tall. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so height is a major factor there. Yeah. Um, conventional is like below your knees. Yes. Right, and then and then like heritage would be like you get lost in the hayfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jurassic Park. The raptors are in there. You don't know where they are. That kind of situation. <laughs> yes. Right? The okay. birds. The birds. <laughs> the birds. The birds are yeah. Okay. They hide in there. Yeah. Yeah. You can't oh, find them. Spooks. Yeah. Um, that would freak you out. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and then any kind of grass would work. So when we're, we're we're finding grass with like a high protein level and then we're going to take the einkorn and we're going to say we'll, we'll 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 cross these 
and make a new variety mm-hmm. that is so so eventually you end up with a golden retriever and you're stoked <laughs> right that's okay this is making sense i'm tracking i'm tracking oh the dog analogy continues yeah <laughs> talk to me about Kamut. i'm really interested in Kamut. um there's a more official name for it which i'm blanking on right now but mm-hmm. do you guys do you guys milk Kamut flour or no um, we don't milk Kamut flour. Um, I know it's a really popular one. We get asked from time to time, and um, I really can't speak much to it. I'm not really an expert in Kamut since it's not a product that we yeah grow, but I'd love to hear from you what you think about Kamut. Well, I, I've used it several times, and to me, I don't know if it's technically an ancient grain or a heritage but it has this like bright yellow color to it which is interesting it almost reminds me a little bit of cornmeal like a Mm. really really fine cornmeal so i've really enjoyed i feel like it has a sweeter flavor to it i think einkorn can be really nutty and fine Mm -hmm. and dense and Mm -hmm. kamut kind of was spongier and lighter felt like the i did some sourdough with it which was kind of had this interesting spongy texture to it and then we did cakes with it which i actually thought it did really well as like almost like a cake flour depending on how fine you're getting it milled so i've enjoyed it but it's not on my regular buy list one it's very expensive Mm. and two the mills that I'm buying from don't mill it either. So, you know, I'd, oh, wow. I'd have to get it from, like, I think one time I purchased it on Amazon from a food production company. And then there's a couple other people that sell it. But I, I've all the art, artisan flour mills I get my stuff from don't currently mill it, which I think hmm. was interesting. So interesting. Now, yeah. now pastry, cake, yeah, these kinds of flowers. That was going to be my next is that, is that all positioning? Like, are we talking like that's actually the pharaoh and we call it our, you know, cake flower? Or is, are these like blends? Are we blending different varieties together to create like the, you know, optimal? Anyways, I'll, I'll stop talking. Yeah, I love it. No, that's great. You're, did you check out our website? You're, you're no. coming you know in blind. He's coming I in love blind. it. I love it. So yeah, it depends. Like some of the, the wheats that, we have on our website are just pure. We just stone mill them. Mm. Maybe we sift them, maybe we don't. It's mentioned on the website, like how, what the milling process is behind it. Um, but then as we get into a lot of our products, like we have pizza flour and mm-hmm. bread flour and all-purpose flour and pastry flour, like you were saying. Um, it depends. Like the pastry flour particularly is only white Sonora that's been finely sifted. So again, that fine flour mm. um, that makes a really nice airy baked good. So if you're making a pie crust, you want it to be nice and thin or you're making sugar cookies or a cake. Um, it's really great for that because it's and been low finely protein. sifted. It's low protein. Okay. So which means you need to add something to give it lift. You need to add baking powder, baking yeah. soda, okay. yeast if you're doing maybe cinnamon rolls or something like that. And then we have our pizza flour. And our pizza flour, um, what we've done with that is we've blended it. So I describe it. You, you do talk about dogs. I particularly yes. like wine. So that's my analogy mm, that I up. usually go to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know how a vintner takes different grape varieties depending on what he's trying to do with this wine, mm-hmm. blends it together and then produces, you know, a, a blend, right? Um, so that's what we do with the flowers. So we make a pizza flower that has a little bit of bluebeard durum, which is mm. usually reserved for pasta, but we like the nice, it's got kind of a caramelly flavor. Um, and then we blend it with white Sonora for that like nice light sweet color, uh, flavor, I'm sorry. 
And then we take a, a white untreated bread flour and we blend that together to help with performance, again, mm. with gluten development. Um, and what I say is our pizza flour, you know how when you're eating pizza, the crust kind of gets thrown off to the side. Nobody likes the crust is always eaten when it's made with our pizza flour mm-hmm. because the crust is just so delicious, right? Mm-hmm. What are some of the major factors to consider when you're blending a pizza flour specifically? Because I've actually had the, we had Hayden. Oh yeah, I made the best It was super ever. good. Yeah, It was, so, I will confirm that it was very, so it was very good. And, and I think for me, the, the major factor that I'm going to say like, that I identified was that I was able to get it thin the crust was able to get thin and it was not, uh, it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't break apart. Mm. It was able to crispen up, but it still rose. I, I, mm. like, I know it sounds really crazy to say all those things because mm-hmm. it sounds like they're like all at odds with one, other, with one another and they kind of are, I think, right? Hey, I want yeah. it to seem really thin, but I want it to rise and I want it to get crispy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, <laughs> well, cool, you know, but uh, what are some of the, th- the considerations that we're looking at when we're blending a pizza flour? Yeah, I think we tried to balance flavor and performance right so like like we put a little bit of the white flour in there because that's what's helping with the performance of it Mm -hmm. but then the flavor comes from the stone milled heritage grain so that's why we have the white sonora because we want like this fairly neutral crust you don't want to really taste the crust in your pizza but then the blueberry durum adds this surprising element of like wow this tastes really good what is this this is intriguing this is interesting um Jeff and Emma are both like foodies, big time foodies. And so they really um, make things that they enjoy eating. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've gotten to be able to get a copy of the Miller's Daughter Emma's book, but every recipe I've made in there, even though it sounds kind of funky when I'm reading it, it turns out just absolutely incredible, the balance of flavors and you know that sort of thing. So they really mm-hmm. kind of pay attention to all those factors um performance and flavor mm-hmm. when we're looking at how we're blending things i was going to ask is she are they testing this out are they you because you guys have a big a big supporting community of really prominent bakers as well i think you guys also do flour for proof bakery is that right um we used to okay, um we Arizona. used to be their yeah primary flour supplier we still sell the blend that they created yes. um with the different stone milled um uh, heritage wheats that we have um but yeah i mean some bakeries it depends every bakery is a little bit different right and for them when they moved out of their garage and they started to rent retail space the realities of that Mm. weekly rent came into play right and there is some price elasticity when it comes to how much can you charge for your loaf of bread and so i think they had to make some difficult decisions Mm -hmm. in where they source their flour from but we're still friends today you know we hang out with them stop by their bakery uh always tell them hey if you want to just like bring in a loaf of rye bread or something you know reach out to us but um yeah but these other bakeries like barrio bread in tucson um that's kind of a fun story he's a community supported baker so he basically bakes as many loaves as he can sell and that's Mm. all he bakes so he opens his doors every day to the community and when he sold out he closes his doors Mm -hmm. and he kind of lets the ebb and flow of market demand and dictate how many loaves he bakes and we've been begging um don guerra he's actually won a james beard award he's an amazing person 
yeah, um, if there's ever a day that he doesn't sell um, all the bread that he made, because, you know, you can only predict so much about the future, he donates them to local food pantries. So he's just a really amazing person. Any um, baker-proof bread, John uh, went and hung out with Don and kind of learned his tips and secrets. And there's no secrets really to what he does. He's willing to share and teach anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, He has a background as a teacher, actually, Don does. So we've been begging Don to come up to Phoenix going, Don, like Phoenix needs you. We would love to have you come up here. And so we actually started a bakery inside of our mill where he's baking all kinds of fun loaves, even with purple tinged loaves with purple barley and, you know, fun things like that. And he's opening that up um, one day a week. But, uh, and then Maurizio Leo, we met, he's written a wonderful book on how to bake sourdough bread. Mm -hmm. Um, He's been running a uh, a blog for years um, and he's like a computer engineer turned baker mm-hmm. so his recipes are very exact um, he tests and tests and tests before he puts his recipes out um, but you know we've just known him through the years and we we're like hey like in celebration of your book let's have you put together a blend so we sent him a bunch of wheat varieties and um, he did, he took months and months to decide what do I want in this perfect, you know, it's got, it's a, it demands a lot. It's a perfect yeah. loaf, right? Yeah. Blend. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we love, um, you know, collaborating with our community and, um, letting them come up with be vintners themselves in their kitchens and letting them mm-hmm. come up with what they think tastes good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we put that out there on the market and it's been a really great way for us to let more people know about what we're trying to do with the heritage grains. Um, and this movement we're trying to create with this, you know, we call it a, a community grain movement, um, to just let people know what we're doing because to be honest, yes, I'm marketing and sales, but I'm the budget, you know, we don't have an ad budget. We don't have, um, a lot of money to spend on ads and letting people know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So we have to like reach our community in creative ways. And that's kind of how we've done it. Mm -hmm. Also just make awesome flour because that helps. (laughs) Yeah. It does help when you have a good product. What's super fascinating about all this and I'm learning this. So sorry that I'm having revelations. It's so fun. External processor. (laughs) It's so fun. Welcome to external processing Joey as he talks out loud. (laughs) Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast. Here we are. (laughs) So there is a really fascinating component to flour and flour blending because flour has a performance aspect, not just flavor. Mm. Now you look at wine, there's very little performance going on there, right? Like wine is all flavor. If you're blending wines, there's, there, you're, you're taking, you know, some, some, some of these grapes and some of these grapes, you put them together and you're going to create this blend and here you go. Or you're going to have like a cab. Right? Maybe the performance is how they ferment. And maybe you're going to have like single origins and different like performance might be like alcohol content yeah. potentially. But yeah. like, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a different mm-hmm. kind of performance. Anyways, mm-hmm. like coffee is also this way, right? Where it's like you're taking mm. different, different beans and you're blending them together to make like this, this blend that's, you know, this, you know, the, the zing roast or whatever. And then you've got single origin coffee that's like, this is from mm. Ethiopia and then we, we, we roast it in a light way. And, but then you can position it to have performance, right? You have like your espresso blend, but espresso blend is it's just coffee, right? It's not like you can't make an espresso with any kind of bean. Yeah. That, that really just boils down how you grind the coffee. Yeah. With, with flour, it's very different, right? And so if you want flour that's going to have a, more of like, a, like a, a different chemical makeup, I don't know if that's what you would call that, but protein levels are higher or lower or whatever, um, they're going to be able to do different things. And I'm bringing this up because as we're shopping for flour, 
what are some of the major things to consider? Um, let's say, let's start as, let's start and say that I'm, a, I'm walking into flour or, or, or into, into sourdough baking. We have, a, we have a, a lot of sourdough bakers, I think, that listen to mm-hmm. this. Yep. I, I want to start baking sourdough. Um, what, what would be the first flour you would consider buying? And what would you say, hey, maybe I would steer away from these for now or maybe entirely? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that first of all, you have to be careful and very conscious of what's going into your flour, right? So if you're heading to the grocery store, look for flour that's unenriched and unbleached. So mm-hmm. you're not going to give your body things that it's really not meant to have. And then um, when it comes to, uh, and, and you're looking for something that's high in protein. So mm-hmm. there are some grocery store flours you can look at that actually express what the protein is on the front of the package. So you want to kind of stick with higher protein. Don't use an all-purpose when you're baking sourdough, right? Because you're not mm-hmm. going to have that strong, um, that high protein to create the strong gluten. Um, and then when it comes to like stepping into, um, if you want to get into stone milled flours, if you were to go and buy a hundred percent stone milled heritage flour, and you're going from white flour to that, it might be very difficult to get the rise that you want on the bread. Hence why we blend it with a white flour. We wanted to give people kind of a hybrid to work with to be able to um, get the results they want and the flavor they want, kind of have it all that we could possibly give them. Rip open the bag, you can make flour, uh, bread and be successful with it. And, you know, a lot of people, when they move from grocery store to like uh, a small stone mill like ours, and there's other ones dotted around the country as well, um, the price jumps and people are often really shocked, you know, at the price, the sticker price. And oftentimes when that's happening, they're going, wow, these people are making a ton of money (laughs) on my hobby, right? Yeah. Just know that there's really not a lot of money (laughs) in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, the process that we're using, the heritage wheat varieties, we only get a third of the yield um, off the same land. We want to make the farmer whole for working with our heritage grain so we don't, we're not punitive with them. You know, we need them to keep growing these heritage wheat varieties so we pay them like it's, we're getting three times yield. So you think Mm -hmm. about that. Our milling process is very artisanal. Um, but I also think about like, think about instead of thinking about your sourdough baking as like out of your grocery budget, think about it as your hobby budget, right? So let's say, you know, you want to take up woodworking and you're going to spend a ton of time. You're going to go buy all these tools to get going, right? Are you going to go to Home Depot and get the cheapest pine they have to spend all your time on that? Absolutely not. You're going to go you know, get that really good cherry wood or this beautiful walnut, right? Something that's going to have beauty and mm. um, in what you're doing. You're spending your time in it, mm. which is so valuable today. So when I talk to sourdough bakers, I, I, I just encourage them to find those quality ingredients because when you're putting your time and effort into something, make it count. Mm. Yeah. So an einkorn flour, that's like the attractive one in the room. I mean, even calling mm. it the patriarch, matriarch of the of the wheat family, even me right sitting here is like, wow, I feel like that's the one I want to eat because Mm-mm. that's like the OG, right? <laughs> yeah, but that, so this is what happens, right? People hear that and they're like, oh, einkorn, it's ancient. And then they'll go, okay, Liz, I'm starting my very first sourdough loaf ever. I'm using 100% einkorn. And I'm like, girl, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. You will not. That will mm-hmm. not turn out well for you. 
mm-hmm. if you're expecting to have a big crusty loaf of with a nice open crumb not don't use the einkorn so it's like to your point you'd have you do kind of have to have this base knowledge of these wheats i'm so glad you gave that family tree analogy too because now i can picture it but you have to that golden retriever blend blend yes <laughs> gotta Back have to it the dogs gotta it takes have us it there again you have to have the understanding of these are the values i have right i want i want my flour to be clean i don't want it to be chemical laden right and we can talk about your flour i know you guys don't certify organic but you also don't use pesticides on your flour so to mm-hmm. me that checks that box right mm. so i want my flour to be clean i want it to have high performance i want it to have good flavor and i want it to be kind of the best of both worlds like what you were just saying i want to benefit from some of those you know the full elements of the wheat but i also want to be able to have a nice beautiful open crumb that i can show on instagram and eat with my toast and it's like really beautiful and holy and nice so It's not as simple as I go to the grocery store and I pick up the little Mm. tiny bag of einkorn and then I take it home and I get to make sourdough. That's not going to give you a successful loaf. Mm. So, yeah. Did that answer your question? Yeah. So what do we use einkorn for? I think it works well for for lower density things. Like I think it works great for pancakes or if you want to do, you know, like a tighter, you know, I bet you could do banana bread with einkorn. I don't know. Have What have you seen be successful with that kind of wheat? Um, yeah, Emma has a recipe in her book for einkorn blondies okay. that are really fun. But yes, yeah. things like baked goods where you have, um, you're asking less of the flour, yeah, right? Totally. You're giving it a little bit of some tools to perform. Um, mm. Cookies are great. There's a, actually a recipe on our website for a chocolate chip cookie, and it's mm. kind of the base, and then you can have all kinds of fun with different flours, and it tells you how to substitute the flours in. So you can make an einkorn chocolate chip cookie. Oh, now I want to make a purple barley chocolate chip mm. cookie that makes purple chocolate chip cookies, you know? Mm. So there's Emmerfaro chocolate chip cookie. Yeah, it's really fun. So, you know, yes, but you, you, like, you said it perfectly. You cannot take einkorn home and expect it to perform like your grocery store flour just did um but i will say barrio grains barrio bread the one that's in uh operating out of our location now he pulls off 100 percent einkorn loaf and wow. it's beautiful but he's got a lot of years you know he's an expert Ten thousand hours yeah. of experience making sourdough um it's it's quite a feat to pull that off yeah I, I would love to know his details of like what his hydration and his fermentation time and what his starter looks like because that's hard to do. That's yes. really, really hard to do. But and it I, doesn't, you know, it doesn't look, it's, it looks like this kind of long oblong. It's about yeah. that tall. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a tight bowl um, type loaf. Yeah, it's definitely different. I get yeah. questions all the time about when people are milling their own flour at home freshly they call it freshly milled flour you know in their own kitchens and I ask them because a lot of times they'll say this bread came out really really dense and I say are you sifting it at all and they'll say no so is there a trick for at home milling where you can sift just like what you guys basically do in your mill just the most coarse bits to create a higher performing flour or are there tips and tricks to use a completely unsifted flour? Is that even a thing in the culinary world? I don't even know. So what would you say to those people? 
So I think a couple of different things. Um, one is if you are um, kind of set on making a loaf of bread that is 100% home milled and even possibly unsifted, um, then you have to look at the wheat that you're using. So we have this brand new um, wheat variety. It is a modern variety, but it's particularly grown for its bread making properties. You can, it's called Vitria. You can mill that at home and make a loaf of bread and it's going to come out great because mm. the bread making properties, it's not just the protein, but it's it's like a vitreous kernel um, where you, uh, it almost looks like glossy, like you can see through it. It just has these amazing bread making properties in it that go beyond just the protein numbers that it offers. Um, but if you're wanting to mill, say, white Sonora or a, a Rouge de Bordeaux or something that's, um, you know, a heritage variety, then add maybe 20% fresh milled um, flour into your loaf of bread. So you're going to get, again, that hybrid kind of model where you're getting mm-hmm. enough to work with that, to get that rise, but you're adding that flavor and that fresh milled um, flavor into it. Um, but, you know, I think there's like this misnomer out there about the fresher it is, the better it is. And it, you, if you want fresh, you have to freshly mill it. And I'm not sure, so sure that's true. I do believe that when you're um, milling whole grain, the moment that you mill it, you're opening all those beautiful oils up to oxygenation, right? And you have to be careful. So this time starts ticking. But our flowers will last on the shelf for up to a year. Mm. Um and yet you're getting the benefits of a much larger um, stone mill that can get that flour ground mm. down even finer than your stone mill at home can do or mm-hmm. than your, your tabletop mill can do. Um, so I tell people you're not really exchanging like fresh milled for industrial flour when you're working with a, a local stone mill. You're still going to get all those benefits, but maybe you're not having to go through the process of trying to sift it out or um, just not being able to get that flour really fine. Maybe you have less yield when you're when you are doing it at home, and you're having to sift all those coarse parts out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. I I kind of feel the same way for you. I feel like sometimes, in an effort to be a purist, it's like, oh, I need to mill my flour fresh and use the whole thing. And and then when performance proves difficult, then they're like, wait a minute, how are these other bakers online doing this? Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, they've got some chicks up their sleeves and they're utilizing a, a blend of flowers. A, another question I get all the time is like, can I use one flower in my sourdough starter and another flower in my loaf? And to them, I'm like, people are using all different kinds of flowers in their loaf all the time. Yeah. Your sourdough starter can be one singular flower and then do whatever you want in your loaf it doesn't have to be this like puzzle piece fitting into the thing right it's it's actually sourdough can be very forgiving if you have the right parameters in place to set you up for a good loaf so absolutely yeah I would love to know as we wrap up here like what are some of your favorite flowers to utilize in your kitchen and some of the favorite things you love to bake and if you have pizza baking tips i would love to know because we're trying to perfect our pizza. we're trying to make the perfect pizza our perfect okay. pizza game and we don't have <laughs> okay. we don't have a we're using a standard oven but we crank that puppy up to 5 30 so you know okay that's what we're working with okay and currently i'm the best at making that's them. so false oh, it's so job. false oh. no, he's not he's not <laughs> well he's you not. know have me over and then i'll be a judge yes I'm in. <laughs> let's go let's go Um, Okay, so your first question was, what are my favorite flowers to work with? Um, Well, 
I have a whole drawer full of all the different flowers that we have and it's hard to choose a favorite. So it kind of depends on what I'm doing, right? But I this time of year, I love to make sugar cookies. It's mm. something that me and my daughter have done every single year and we love to do it together. And when I'm doing that, um, I start with our all-purpose and then I take about 20% of the flour and I substitute it with an Emmer flour because I just really not like the nice nutty flavor that it has. Mm-hmm. So I love to use Emmer Faro in, in my um, cookies. And then to answer your question about the pizza, um, I'm not a big at-home pizza maker because mm-hmm. if I'm going to eat pizza, I hate to say this, but I'm, it's usually on a night that I'm desperate and I just go... You know, order something from somewhere. I love um, it. But I, we have made pizzas at home. Of course we have. And I've tried the um, the uni ovens outside. And um, right now we're kind of into, we crank it up to 500. And I found that the pizza stone is a really great tool mm-hmm. to have. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not having to go invest in a couple hundred dollars, you know, in a in an outdoor pizza oven and really commit to that pizza. But you can just get a, a nice um it's like a it's a very thirsty type stone and you have to be careful about how you care for it but you stick it in your oven you preheat it to 500 and what that's doing is when you put your dough on that stone it's absorbing the extra moisture Mm -hmm. being able to create this nice thick crust um like sturdy crust not thick but sturdy crust um on the bottom Mm -hmm. and when i understood the science behind that i go oh that makes sense but there are people out there that like baking steels because you start with a really hot surface right Mm -hmm. it gets the temperature up really high so when that moisture hits it it's evaporating immediately so the Mm -hmm. idea is you're trying to Moisture at the bottom of the pizza is your enemy. You're trying to get rid of that with some kind of substance that will either quickly evaporate or absorb the moisture. Mm. That's super interesting. Yeah, we're not currently utilizing either of those. We do own a pizza stone. My biggest obstacle was that with that is that I don't have a, like a pizza peel, so I don't know how to put the pizza on the stone you know what I'm saying I started out the same way and I was like getting so frustrated because the toppings are all spilling out onto the stone and it's becoming this giant mess in my oven and now I've got burned cheese at the bottom of my oven that I have to clean out the next day right yeah um so I did go get a pizza peel yeah that's the key and that has semolina flour on there yeah so here's here's the thing when you're making so you so you roll out your pizza crust right it's all beautiful and now you need to put the toppings on it. It's like you have to have everything ready to go, in my opinion. <laughs> Heavily dust that pizza peel with cornmeal or rice flour or something that will not be absorbed as quickly into mm. your dough. Mm-hmm. And then you got to work quick. Okay, kids, we all need to stress <laughs> out. Put all the toppings on. You have 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> not that you want to make pizza night stressful. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. But there is something to be said for like having to work quickly at that point. So that when you're getting ready to put that pizza peel with the dough on top, it's not upset there and absorbed all the moisture. And now mm. it's sticking to the pizza peel. Mm. Yes. So I think speed is the, the answer there. Yeah, speed is key. And the peel. I need to get and one. And the peel. And That's the a peel. great Christmas. It's called a peel. How do you spell that? Two E's? I think so. I think it's a P-E-E-L. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christmas present maybe. There we go. Hey. Hey. Just use a <laughs> shovel if we had to. Not using a shovel. Any other questions you had about flour or milling? 
I have. I, I feel like I've learned so much. I don't. <laughs> I, I, I. I feel like Debbie is kind of like a sommelier of. Yes, that's bread a great way. Or to flour, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. She's like you know talking about the different varieties that are in within different loaves and the nuttiness and the creaminess of bread. And I'm like, right now my experience allows me to identify the performance. I feel mm-hmm. like I, I'm at that. Mm. I'm at that experience. Like this rose well or this didn't right <laughs> like i like this was able to get crispy like i can yeah. see that um but uh outstanding i've i've loved it i'm 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 good to go over here awesome where can people find hayden flour mills if they want to shop the store connect on social tell us where we can point people yes so we are on instagram and facebook you can find us under hayden flour mills and then our website is a great place to start to just learn about all the different products we have. We have a page that talks about all the different heritage varieties, um, flavors, uses, and that's HaydenFlowerMills.com. Um, and they can email us if they just want to have a, if they if there's a question that, that come, came up during the podcast and they're, they have a curiosity that they want answered, we do answer every single email. So that's info at HaydenFlowerMills.com. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us and talking, nerding out on such a specific topic. I love when we get those episodes in. This is so fun. And Liz, you are so, uh, you know so much about bread and wheat already. So it was just a joy. And, you know, both of you guys, it was fun to just kind of go back and forth between each of you. And yeah, that was really great. Cool. I love it. Yeah, that's, this show is, is always a blast to record. I love I love these times. Good times. Thank you so much, Debbie. Absolutely. And with that, Debbie from Hayden Mills. Hayden Flower Mills. Hayden Flower Mills <laughs> has left the virtual chat. Mm-hmm. We actually hung out with her for like another 20 minutes <laughs> afterwards. We had after a, we stopped recording. We had a post-podcast podcast. She's great. She's wonderful. Super, super big fan. I stand by sommelier of, would you say flour or bread? flower okay because mm-hmm. it could be anything cookies mm-hmm. she's talking about mm-hmm. all sorts of things super thankful that Debbie came out. i learned some a lot of things actually i did not know that conventional wheat stood like knee high okay so when we're driving to uh, my parents lake house in indiana and i said look at that wheat it's so short mm-hmm. and you were like it's just because we're in the truck <laughs> no i didn't say that it's like six to 12 feet or inches tall it's very short to the ground it's it looks odd and then yeah and then picture a six foot right it's just wild yeah i I don't think i've ever seen six foot wheat ever yeah i don't i don't think i have either so i don't know that i was even surprised to see it short um yeah well that's what that is so crazy Mm -hmm. (laughs) you'll think of flower in a whole new way anyhow um, super thankful for Debbie having her come on. Hope you enjoyed it. Check out Hayden Mills, Hayden Flower Mills. Why do I keep doing that? I don't know. And um, scoop up some flour. They're mm-hmm. great. She's mm-hmm. great. We love the flour. I can speak towards the pizza flour. I, I know I've probably consumed other at this point, um, but um, I absolutely noticed a major difference in performance mm-hmm. from the pizza flour. Holy smokes, it was better all around held together better i could get it flattened better i could stretch it out easier and it rose higher Uh it was awesome big fan anything else no i don't know when this episode is gonna be dropping but it's probably gonna be dropping around the time that a holiday market has dropped Mm -hmm. you should check that out shoptheh.com if you don't know what shoptheh.com is if you don't know what that is hazemeyer goods we have a retail store 
a place you can go online to find products for your house and for yourself. And a lot of those products are awesome and you should definitely check it out. Go to shoptheh.com, look up your teas, your coffees, your sourdough baking instruments. We innovated the proofing basket. Mm-hmm. We have a cotton rope proofing basket that is just better than what you've been using. I can almost guarantee. You should check that out, shoptheh.com. You want to hear us talk more for some reason? You can find us on Instagram. I'm at Joey Hazelmeyer. Elizabeth or Liz is at Liz Hazelmeyer. And we have a homegrown Instagram as well. And by we, I mean Elizabeth. <laughs> and that's at homegrown underscore education. You can find our nutrition curriculum, recipe guides, all sorts of educational stuff on homegrowneducation.org. And until next time, that's a wrap.